Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, again, we just come before you with uh, soft hearts, ready to receive what it is that you have for us through your word today, Lord. We are so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for your word, Lord. Otherwise, I don't have much to talk about, Lord. So I'm just so thankful that you're, uh, that you're here and that you're prepared to speak to us, Lord, because we're prepared to hear. So Lord, take this time. It's your time. Just take it. Do something amazing today. Speak to us. Lead us, guide us, convict us, challenge us, change us this morning, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 And I was thinking about this morning, and I was reading again uh, through chapter 6 this week and uh, and into 7, and uh, there was a couple of things that God just kept bringing back to my, uh, my mind Uh, Chapter 6, verse 4, he kept bringing me to this, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Remember, we, we talked about this idea last week, that love isn't this gushy feeling. Love is an act of your will. God says, love me. You may not feel like it. You might be uh, confused or afraid or scared, but love me. And not just love me, love me with all of your heart. Love me with all of your soul. Love me with all of your strength. What is he trying to say right there? What does he mean? What does all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength mean to you? At all. Everything, with everything, he's going to go on and say, bind it to your hand, bind it to your forehead, put it on your doors, put it on your gates. He's saying, make me preeminent in your life. Make me preeminent in your life. If anything in your life is before God, that's a what? An idol. An idol. If anything is before God in your life, it's an idol. So look at your life, examine your life, and see, is God preeminent? in your life. Remember, we talked about last week how maybe we should start each day by saying, Lord, help me to love you today with all of my heart, with all of my soul, and with all of my strength. And because I believe that this is God's will, if you ask him to help you do that, he will help you do that. You know that's true. I know that's true. But now I have to pray, Lord, help me to remember to pray to ask you to help me. Because, you know, I get up in the morning sometimes and you're like, hey, you know what? I check my phone and I'm like, all right, what do I got going today? You know what I actually am going to do? I'm going to put a reminder on my calendar that says, ask God to help you love him with all your love him with all your, my heart, my soul and my strength. And it will pop up and remind me every day because that's what I do. I look at my calendar every single day because I, I just got to know. I don't know if you know, but I, I have a busy life. You probably have a busy life. Do you ever wake up in the morning and think, first thing you think is, what do I got to do today? What do I got to do today? Maybe we should start thinking, what do I get to do today? What do I get to do? Let's start there. 
Let's start there. See, God is impressing in on these folks that are about to go into a promised land that he said is going to be flowing with milk and honey. Remember, provision and all the things that make life sweet, but also enemies all around with false gods all around. So that if you try and go into that land and I'm not preeminent in your life, it's going to be a struggle. Is your life a struggle? Do you feel like my life every day, it's just a struggle? And I, sometimes I think, and, and I actually there was a verse that, uh, that uh, Cesar gave us this morning in our devotional time. Maybe turn there. It's First uh, Peter. First Peter. It's way to the right. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read it with you. I'll give you a second. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 and 7. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. In verse 7, do you know what that word care means? You literally, I looked it up in Greek this morning. You know what it means? Anxiety. Anxiety. He says, casting all of your anxiety upon him, for he cares. That word care, that means cares. <laughs> That's literally, it just means he cares about you. He cares for you. But what do you need to do first? Verse 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So it's like, well, how am I supposed to be able to cast all of my anxiety and all my fears and all my worry on God? I don't know that I can do that. Is he really big enough to handle all of this? Yes, he is. Look at verse 6, the mighty hand of God. That's where you have to submit yourself and say, I'm going to come under the mighty hand of God. I can submit to a God who I know controls the universe, and I can cast my anxiety and my cares on him. And then you just go... then all you have to worry about is if you're one of those people that is just worried about what everybody else is thinking about what you're like because sometimes don't you feel like I want to just throw my hands up and say Jesus take the wheel but what if people think I'm lazy well what if people think I'm I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing what if think people say oh you're a bad parent this is what I think who cares who cares what they think who cares what they think? Because we are submitted or need to be submitted to the mighty hand of God. So is he preeminent in your life? Is God preeminent in your life? These are the words which I commanded you that you shall be in your heart. He said in verse 6, these are the words. What words? What words? The ones we just read. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength. Put these words in your heart. Remember we said last week that the Jews believe the heart is where you make all of your decisions from. So if that's where you're making all your decisions from, then that's where you should have the understanding of I submit to an almighty God with everything that I have. Teach them diligently to your children when you come in and when you go out of your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. He says, just teach them to your kids, not just sit down for a lesson, but 
teach it through your life, through your example, through your words, through the lessons. Teach them to your children. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand that they shall be frontlet and frontlets before your eyes. You know, we talked a little bit about this. This was, was what they called a phylactery. It was a little leather box that they would put the word of God in. And then when they would pray, they would wrap it around their hand and they would put it uh, around their forehead as a reminder to them of these scriptures to God. But see, later on, it became a symbol of, look how righteous and holy I am. And they would make these huge, bigger than necessary phylactery boxes, and they would have these big boxes on their heads and on their hands. And it became a thing out there that you could say, look how holy I am. And they're praying like this. And everyone's looking at their great big phylactery box. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. But as I read this, I thought that's interesting that, that God told Moses to tell them to put those prayers, that word of God, on their hands and before their eyes. And as I, I look at that, I see God saying, because I want you to have God in the forefront of everything that you do and everything that you see. It says frontlets before your eyes. Everything you do and everything you see, let God be in the forefront of that everything you do and everything you see. And you know, boy, I got to tell you, that was convicting to me this week. As I looked at my life, I said, are the things that I'm doing during the day, are those things honoring God? Are the things that I'm looking at during the week, are those things honoring to God? I mean, Sunday, sure. It's the Lord's day. Sunday's the Lord's day. The only problem is that you can see in the word where it says, this is the day that the Lord has made. You know what day that is? Whatever day you happen to be reading that passage, that's the Lord's day. So on that day, are you do, everything you do, is it honoring God? Everything that you see, are you honoring God? You know, that's super high impact. God knows that. God knows that if you know that you're thinking about this thing that I'm about to do with my hands, Whatever it is, <laughs> whatever it is that you're about to do with your hands, is this something that God would say, that honors me? Whatever it is that you're looking at with your eyes, when you're on the internet, you're at home watching TV, you're someplace, whatever it is you're looking at, is that something that God would look at and say, that is honoring me? That's honoring me. And now we're doing that every day. It's high impact. If you do that, if you think that, it will take you in a good direction. If you forget that, or as, the, as it says here, if you set it aside, you will drift to places that you shouldn't be. And you'll be out there vulnerable. In fact, you know, binding it to your hands and, and before your eyes, that's such a powerful image. Do you know that Satan tries to use that as well? Satan will try and hijack that idea of binding it to your hands and binding it to your forehead. Because in Revelation chapter 13, it talks about the rise of the Antichrist and the beast or the false prophet, the two beasts actually, right? And the false prophet comes around and he tries to drive everybody to worship the Antichrist. And he says that he's going to give everybody a mark. And it's either going to be on the back of their hand or on their forehead. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a barcode or a chip or if it's symbolic. I don't know. 
But what I do know is it says that in the word and the, the false prophet who was trying to get everyone to worship the Antichrist says, in order for him to be forefront prominent in your life, we're going to mark your hand and your forehead so that it's everything that you do and everything that you see. See, the devil knows that that is impactful, powerful, right? God says, if you, if you think this way, if you do, say everything I do and everything I see, I'm going to do it so that it is honoring to God. And nothing that is not honoring to God, I'm not going to do any of that. It will impact your life. He says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Did you ever ask yourself, when you're reading through the word, do you just read through that and be like, okay, four hands and forehead and doors and gates. Okay, yeah, I see that. I see that. I see people doing that. Do you ever just stop and ask, like, why did he say those specific things? Why those specific things? Those are the questions that I end up asking. And say, God, why did you say doorposts and gates? You know what that causes me to do? Study more. <laughs> Study more. Go and ask. Find online. Look and say, why this? And then, you know, then I can't find the answer. And God says, now, now that you've done everything that you can do, I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> no, because when they mark their doorposts and their gates, it says, here is a, place, a dwelling place of one who honors God. This is a dwelling place of a people that honor God when they have that on their doorposts and their gates, which I think is amazing. It's amazing for someone to see their house and say, oh, look, they've got the mezuzah. <laughs> that's funny. The, that's a little thing that was on the doorpost and on their gate and say, in this place is a, is a person that honors God. I don't, I, I don't have a mezuzah on my house, but I have a fish on the back of my car. <laughs> so when someone sees my car, they say, that, that guy must be a Christian. And then I have to drive real nice. <laughs> I can't use my horn anymore. <laughs> because although it's just a symbol, I want it to be real. I want it to be a real reflection of what's inside. I want someone to see the fish on my car and say, that guy must be a Christian, and I want that to be true on the inside. See, if, if you could put a, a beautiful nativity scene outside your house this Christmas, and you could have a big sign that says, Jesus is the reason for the season, and all this stuff to indicate that this is the dwelling place of a people that honor God, but make sure that it's true on the inside. Jesus would say of the Pharisees later, they're like a cup that's beautiful and clean on the inside, outside, but on the inside, it's filthy, filthy. As they were becoming so obsessed with what people thought and saw on the outside, and they were just neglecting anything on the inside. So please go ahead and put a fish on your car, and please go ahead and put signs out front of your house, and put up the nativity scene and all things Jesus, but make sure that it's true on the inside more than what you have on the outside. I'd rather not see anything on your yard, but come in and say, man, this is a house that's filled with the Holy Spirit. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to you, the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to go to give you lar <laughs> large and beautiful cities which you did not buy and houses full of good things which you did not Fill hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olives which you did not plant. And when you have eaten and are full, 
then beware lest you forget the Lord. And you know, last week we kind of ended there. We talked about the idea that God said, look, you're going to go in and I'm going to bless you with, with big cities and houses and, and vineyards and wells, none of which you had anything to do with at all, but I'm going to bless you with them. But once you've eaten and are full, when you become satisfied, don't forget. Or else he says, don't set aside the Lord. And so I challenged you last week that when you were thinking about Thanksgiving and you're gathered around your table with whomever you had dinner with or lunch or whatever it was that you did, and you've got all your food and you're thinking and saying, we are so blessed not to forget to say, but we are, we are blessed by God. He's given us all these blessings. It's not about the blessings, but about the blesser. Blesser? Blesser. The one who blesses us. It's not about the blessings. It's about the one who blesses us. And he says, don't forget. Now, why does he say this? When do we forget? <laughs> well, specifically, according to this verse, when you have eaten and are full. <laughs> when we're so blessed by God that we start thinking, whew, oh, I am so, I mean, like, Maybe this happened to you, you're at Thanksgiving and you sit down and everyone's holding hands and you're praying and you're thinking, Lord, thank you, you've blessed us so much, this is so great and thank you for this food. And then you finish the meal and you've eaten the pie and you're just like, oh, and you're unbuckling that first. Well, I don't know, I mean, I just wore stretchy pants. But, <laughs> and then you're done and you're like, oh man, that was so good. How about some football and off you go. And I like football. But maybe it's at the end of the meal that we're like, Lord, you bless us so greatly because it's at that moment that we're satisfied that he says you're in danger of setting me aside. All of a sudden, our needs has all been met. All of a sudden, we've got the milk and we've got the honey. We've got the provision and we've got the sweetness of life. And we start saying, hmm, I'm pretty satisfied. And God is like, that's the moment, gang. That's the moment, that's the danger when you're in that moment that you're in danger of setting the Lord aside. <clears throat> you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. In verse 13, he says, remember, again, I'm just going to say this every time we read this. When you see you shall fear the Lord, he's not saying cower. He's saying hold him in right regard, in awe, in majesty, in reverence. Well, if you have an understanding of that, then you can say, I submit all to God. Then you can say, I will, it says here, serve him. Right? It's the believe and the do. Remember, we've been talking about that. And shall take oaths in his name. Okay. <clears throat> How many of you do this? And don't raise your hand. Just think about it. You're reading through the Bible. You've read it for years and years, some of you. Um, you come to a spot that says, you shall take oaths. And you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Jesus says that we are not to take oaths. So I don't know about this Bible all of a sudden. I mean, that seems like a problem. I mean... Does anybody else do that? Is it just me and Jan? <laughs> Pretty much. I don't really do it. Sorry, it's just Jan, really. It's a, no, but do you ever come to a place in the Bible where you're like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why do we do that? 
Like, why do I do that? I have to ask myself that because I've studied this and I've read this and I believe every word of it. But yet sometimes I'll come to a place and I'll be like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't really make sense. I must have figured out something that nobody else has ever seen before or that God made a mistake because, well, I'm awesome. <laughs> well, we already know I'm not awesome. I have a shirt and everything. So whenever you come to a place where you're like, that, 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 that's not right. That's not right. They must have made a mistake. This must be a typo in my Bible. You have to stop. You have to say, okay, well, maybe I'm not reading it correctly. Maybe I'm misunderstanding. And what do you say? Lord, give me wisdom here. Give me wisdom. And in this case, the Lord would say, actually, go and read what what Jesus is saying. This is a passage from the Sermon of the Mount where he goes through and he says, you've heard it said... Or you've read that it was this way, referring to an Old Testament thing, and then he further defines it. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemy also and pray for them, right? And he goes through and he, he refines the things that they were struggling with. And one of the things they were struggling with was not keeping their promises. And so he says, don't take an oath, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's not the same thing that God is saying here. But yet this is one of those parts where people are like, oh, hey, oh, hey, oh, here's a contradiction right here. It comes under that place that we just read in 1 Peter. Humble yourself to the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself and say, maybe I don't quite have this all figured out. I thought I did. thought I had it all figured out. But maybe I don't. Maybe I need to look a little deeper into God's word. And he says, you shall, this is a warning to them, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. you that, that phrase, you shall not go after, it, it literally means in Hebrew, you shall not walk after them, right? Not that you just be like, you know, like, oops, I went by accident after this false god. It's like you saw it, you made a decision, and you walked after that God, you pursue that other God. It's the difference between what John writes between sinning and practicing sinning. It's an intentional decision to say, I know this is wrong, but I'm still going to go this way. And he says it right here. Don't go after, don't intentionally decide to walk after the other gods that you see are of the people all around the land that you're going into because you're going to go in and they're going to have all of these different pagan rituals and gods that they worship. And for some reason, it's going to be really tempting. And does anybody ever wonder, why were they so tempted by all these other gods? Or do you really understand because in your own life, you look around and find out that the gods that this world worships are also very tempting. They're also tempting, aren't they? And unless you have God preeminent in your life, you could get sucked into those things so easily, so easy. And he says, don't walk after those other gods. It's, it's like he's saying, instead of intentionally deciding to do it, intentionally decide not to do it. I mean, if you could decide to go this way, can't you decide to go this way too? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It's an act of the will. Just like he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and strength. Intentionally decide to do it. Well, it takes discipline, though, doesn't it? It does. It takes discipline. 
For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Let the anger of the Lord, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. We already talked about this idea that God is a jealous God, right? This idea that God is a jealous God, not envious, but jealous, saying, they're mine. I'm not willing to share them with any other false gods. It's insulting to God. God says, I created everything by speaking it in six days. And you're telling me that that wooden statue that that guy carved from a tree and I are on the same level? You know, we're not fooling God. They're not fooling God. Nobody, nobody is carving an idol with their own hands and bowing down to it and really thinking that that thing is an authority over me, are they? No, they're not. By making an idol, they're saying, I'm really the God. I'm really, I'm really my own God. <clears throat> Verse 16 says, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You know, first of all, This is a, again, remember we talked about the fact that when Satan tempted Jesus out in the wilderness, three times Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy. It's a book that is powerful. We're, we're fortunate to be able to have it, to get into it and to look and to learn these things. It, is, it was, I would, I would say, Deuteronomy was Jesus' favorite book of the Old Testament. He probably was partial to the Gospels too, but they weren't written at, thank you, Terry. He loved the book of Deuteronomy because there's power in the words of this book. These are the words. That's what it's called. There's power in this book. And he quoted this verse, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Do you know when he quoted that to Satan in the wilderness? When Satan said, look at all of the kingdoms of the world. If you just bow down to me, Satan said, I'll give them all to you. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> I know some of you are going, I, I, yeah. he did say that. But see, this was when, this was when he said, uh, I forget it. He did say it. He was going to throw him off the pinnacle of the temple. And he says, you know, his angels will pick you up and not lest you dash your foot on the stone. And that's when Jesus said, you shouldn't tempt the Lord your God. You shall not. <clears throat> Let's move on. You know what I'm talking you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you diligently keep. Remember what that means? Shh. Shh. Like a whetstone sharpening a blade. This is diligently teach your children. So can you give your children one lesson and move on? No, it's over and over again. And, and how long are your children your children? Till they're 18? Forever. How many of you have adult children? Yeah. yeah. Lots of you. That's right. And how long do you keep teaching your children? Now, sometimes the process changes a little bit, doesn't it? Sometimes they're right in front of you and you can talk to them. And other times uh, you teach them through the example of your own life because they're adults and they've got their own children. But you never stop teaching your children the things of the Lord. And he says, guess what? You also don't stop learning these things. Diligently keep these commandments. Keep doing them over and over 
and over. As a whetstone sharpens a blade, so you will be sharpened. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you. Right and good. Again, it's one of those verses where you should read that and say, well, I mean, why not just good? Or why not just right? Why do we have to have right and good? Well, they mean different things. Right means, uh, what does it mean? I wrote it down. Firmly established. Right means firmly established. And good means good. good. It means good. But according to whom? See, it says that. Before God's eyes. Or in the eyes of God. This says in the sight of the Lord. But that literally in Hebrew means in, uh, in, the, in the eyes of God. So that you will be able to do the things that are right, firmly established by God himself, and good. The things that are good in the eyes of the Lord. Those are the only two things, right and good. So that you can be a miserable slave to God. It doesn't say that, actually. It says so that it may be well with you. So that it may be well with you. I keep coming back to this place of God saying, look, I'm giving you all of these statutes and judgments and commandments so that it will be well with you. Not so you'll be miserable. Not so that you will be miserable. Listen to all the things that God and, and Jesus says. as he goes on and, and he says, you know what? Uh, he goes, don't, don't lie to one another. Don't kill one another. Don't, uh, he says, don't get drunk. Be sober-minded. All these things that he's saying, don't do all of these things. They're not so that you'll be miserable. They'll so that you'll have this wonderful, abundant Christian life. So that it may be well with you. And so that you may go in and possess a good land, which the Lord swore to your fathers, to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. And when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. And then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swore to our fathers. You know what Moses, God is saying to Moses to tell them, share your story with your children. Share your story with your children. How many of you who have children who can understand what you're saying, have you shared your testimony with them? The details of it. See, what he's saying is, let them know that before you were in bondage, you were in bondage, you were a slave, but God brought you out, not just brought you out of bondage, but brought you in to relationship with him. How many of you have shared your testimony with your children? And I would encourage you to do it if you haven't. Do it. Let them know, you know what, before I, before I had a relationship with Jesus, I was like this. 
I was like this. And, you know, and, and I wish I could sit down with my two daughters and say, I led a, a beautiful, pure life. Your mom and I had a beautiful, pure relationship before. I wish I could say that, but I can't say that to them. But I can tell them that this is what we were like before Jesus. We were in bondage to the world, as Egypt is a picture of the world in the Old Testament, and slavery bondage to say, we were in bondage just like all those around us, and we were living however we thought. But God brought us out of that so that he could bring us in to a relationship with him. Don't be afraid to share your testimony. In fact, do it. Share your testimony with your children, even if you've never done it before and they're 50 years old. Sit down and say, can I just tell you my testimony? I don't think I've ever done this before. Can I tell you my testimony? Can you just listen and let me get all the way through it before you start shaking your head or doing whatever it is you're going to do? Can I tell you my story and let them hear about who you were and who you've become in Jesus Christ and share that. It's powerful. It's, you know, we always say that when we're talking like in an apologetics class or a, or a, a witnessing type of situation, we're always like, you know what, you know that, that friend at work, share your story with them. But do we think the same way with our children? <laughs> share your story with your children. Maybe we take it for granted. Oh, they're, they're going to get it. They'll get it. Maybe. But why not tell them? Maybe save some of the details for yourself. I mean, I don't want to... <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to tell them all the details, but the important ones. And verse 24 says, And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes to fear the Lord our God and for, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we, careful, if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. You know, that right there, you know, that word righteousness, it kind of makes people anxious because we were, you know, we were in Galatians. We were talking about the righteousness isn't through works. It's through the grace of God. God, God makes us righteous because we believe, not because of what we do. But the idea of the law, righteousness through the law exists. And it's easy. I mean, it's simple. Righteousness through the law is simple. But it's not easy. See, the, the, the Bible says that if you fail in one point of it, you've transgressed the whole thing. So then you're done. Then you're done. You lied one time. You kill one person. <laughs> one point of the law, you transgress it. You transgress the whole thing, and then you can't have righteousness through the law. So what do you need? You need atonement. And so that's what God set up. He set up a situation where they could come and make a sacrifice that would atone for their sin. Because they had transgressed the law. They no longer could be seen as righteous. They had to make a sacrifice. There had to be blood spilt to atone for their sin. And it was a system that was set up that would happen over and over and over and over again until Jesus came. And then God sent his son Jesus to come and to be the final, complete, and perfect sacrifice atonement for your sin. And so no longer do people need to sacrifice 
uh, blood, a blood sacrifice an animal over and over and over again, but they need to call on the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their atonement one time. One time. And you can be saved. See, that's the gospel message God said. I will send my son to come down and to be that perfect final sacrifice for your atonement. And that is all that you will need to do is to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I recognize it. Lord, I'm calling on the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse me of my sin and to forgive me. And you only have to do that once to be saved, but you have to do it once at least. You have to do it. Otherwise, you do have to keep every point of the law, which we just went over. You do it one time, you're done. One time and you're done. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I mean, I'm pretty good. Sorry. Pretty good is not good enough. It's not horseshoes. We're talking about heaven and we're talking about hell. We're talking about salvation. And the Bible says that there's one way. It's through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you're recognizing that you're a sinner, that you've sinned, that you need that blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ to forgive you. And you're calling out on him, saying, forgive me of my sins. You're turning and you're going towards God. Oh, it's so, it's so huge. That is simple and easy. Simple and easy. Oh, we have lots of time. Let's just keep going for a little while. You guys good? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> then the Lord your God bring, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, the termites and the Christmas lights. <laughs> you know, I actually do think that Christmas lights is accurate in that list. Because if you, if you pull those out every year and they're a huge knot, that's an enemy right there. Greater, it says, greater and mightier than you right here. It says that, and I believe that. I just buy new ones every single year. He goes on and he says, seven nations greater and mightier than you. You notice he says that God is going to go in before you and he's going to clear the land from all of these uh, nations that are there because you can't do it. They're greater, they're mightier than you. But God says, I'm going to go in before you and I'm going to do it. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them you shall make no covenant with them, nor show, no, show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. You know what's interesting to me? Right there in verse 2, he says, go in and utterly destroy them. And then he says, and don't make marriages with their sons or daughters. If you already utterly destroyed them, then why do you need that second part? Who's left to marry? Why did God put that there? Because he knows us. He knows them. He knows that they're not going to go in and actually do everything that he's told them to do. And so, or else they're going to try and compromise with God. Oh, we have to kill them all. Look at how pretty they are. Or look at what good, I don't know what makes a good wife back then. Look, you know, they have wide, 
hips for childbearing or broad shoulders for care. I don't know. But whatever it was, they were going to start to negotiate. And God says, the, the, the things in your life that I'm calling you to tear down, to get rid of and destroy, you need to utterly destroy. No covenants, no agreements, no compromises. We're going to see that he's going to say, go in and burn down their idols and their altars and their high places. And if you start reading through First and Second Kings, you're going to find out that they actually, they either didn't do it or they allowed them to be built up. Actually, they're going to go in and over several years, you're going to find out several hundred years, you're going to find out that not only are the Amorites still around, but they actually become kind of friends with them at one point, And then they fight against them back and forth. And they're always a thorn in the side of the Israelites because they don't do what God has done. They compromise it. They come with God knows it going in, and he says, just utterly destroy them. But when you don't, don't marry them. Don't marry them. For in verse 4, they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. This happens. It happens to the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon. Marries women from foreign countries, and it says that in the end of his life, they turned his heart away from God. The wisest man in the world in history ever. And he compromises, and this is exactly what happens. He's turned away at the end of his life. You know, we, we do the same thing, I think. Well, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, just me and Jan. <clears throat> but... It's good to have you back, Jan, really. It felt like it was just me for the longest time. Okay. Sorry. We go along and we, we, we try and make compromises. We go, well, is this okay? How about here? Is this okay right here? Here's the line. Look, look if I get right here, I'm good. I'm still good. I haven't crossed the line. I'm still good. But you know what happens? Like a breeze comes along. Now, if I was standing way over here and the breeze came along, I'm still good. I'm still good. I compromise and compromise. I was like, God, I'm still doing what you said. I mean, technically, if you ever say to God, technically I'm not. <laughs> technically, that's not a lie, is what you're saying. Technically, that's not a, technically God, that's not a sin. Like you're fooling God. Like God's going to be like, hmm, you know what? You do have a point there. <laughs> Utterly destroy them. No covenants. No marriages. No marriages. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. You know, God is saying to you all and to me and to Jan that we all have pillars and things in our lives that probably may not be right there, but they may be down the road or something that we need to destroy and burn down. There might be uh, influences in your life that he's saying you need to tear down, destroy. But I don't necessarily believe that Jesus at this point would say, get a torch, light it on fire and go burn down your neighbor's house because they are pagans. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. But what he is saying is you have a weapon that is greater than a torch with fire on it. You have the word of God, the truth of the word of God. Go out and tear down the idols with the truth of the word of God. That's what he's calling us to do. In your life, he's calling you to do that. 
You could, we can read through this also, and, and, and I can see where someone would say, geez, that, that God guy seems pretty harsh. That's harsh. I mean, utterly destroy, burn down everything, tear it up. I mean, what about those poor Amorites? Am, Amorites? Amorites? What about those guys? I mean, what did they ever do? Is God just clearing the land? I want to share something with you. You don't have to turn there, but make a note of Genesis chapter 15. I'm going to read this. This is, this is God talking to Abram, who will later become known as Abraham. Okay, First, uh, chapter 15, verse 13, he says, Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants, because this is when God is saying, you know, I'm going to do all this in your life. And Abram keeps on saying, but how will I know, God? How will I know this? And how will you show me this? And, and how will I know that this is coming to pass? And God answered, he said, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. You know, you know who we're talking about? This is the Israelites. They're in Egypt. This, this is what God is saying. This is going to happen. Joseph and his family, uh, Jacob and his family are going to come. They're going to meet up with Joseph. They're going to live there. They're going to be strangers in the land because there's only like, I don't know, 60 or so of them. They're going to grow up to be a great people, but then they're going to be afflicted. Remember, we talked about this in Genesis, and the Pharaoh puts them under bondage, and they're there 400 years in bondage. Well, this is God telling Abraham, I'm not going to tell you yet how far away this is. Hold on. Also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterward. They shall come out with great possessions. Well, we know that happened. Now, as far as you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age, saying that to Moses, uh, to Abraham. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet been completed. And so what, what God is saying to Abram, is that this is what's going to happen. Your descendants are going to become a great nation. They're going to be in bondage to a foreign nation. That's Egypt. They're going to be brought out, and then they're going to come into this land because, you know, Abraham was in the land when God told him that, and then they went out, and then God was bringing them back in to the land here in Deuteronomy that we're talking about. And he's saying that I'm going to bring them back in. This is over a 1,000 years before any of it happened. God said this to Abram. What did Dan say this morning? God keeps his promises. Does God keep his promises? It took a thousand years. But what is that to God? A day. A day, the Bible says. You know, I got about a sixteenth of a day. A day. But he keeps his promises. But that's not exactly why I wanted to read that part. See, this part in verse 16, he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here. He's talking about those uh, in Deuteronomy that are about to go in. He says, they're going to return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know what he's saying? Is that I can't send you in as an army now or as a great people now because the Amorites have not yet fulfilled their iniquity. Okay, what he's saying is that I'm not ready to destroy them yet. There's still a chance for them. There's still a chance for the Amorites that are in the land. I'm not yet ready. Their, their destruction is not complete. Their iniquity is not complete. Do you know what that means? God gave them a thousand years to come to an understanding that Abraham had right here in this, in this chapter in 15 of Genesis that God is God 
and that you can believe in what he says because then it says that God counted him righteous because he believed. The Amorites had a thousand years to get there and they didn't get there. They didn't get there and God said, I'm now to the point where I can see because I know that they're never going to get to a place where they're gonna be redeemed and so now I'm gonna remove them so that they are not a destructive force among my people. All the, we, we know that they do become a force because the people don't do exactly as they're instructed to do. But do you see the kind of patience that God has with a people? I honestly, I am so thankful for the patience of God, for his long suffering, the longevity of his plan. I'm so thankful. When I read that part right there, and I looked in Genesis 15, and I read that God gave them such a long time to come to a place of repentance, I thanked God with all of my heart that he did the same for me. Now, it wasn't a thousand years, but he waited for me. He waited for me. Do you know that there are 44 predictions since Jesus of his return, 44 predictions of Jesus' return from, you know, credible sources. I, mean, I use quotation marks because how credible could they be because he hasn't come back yet. But credible sources, 44 credible predictions of Jesus' return. 500, three theologians got together and said, Jesus is coming back in 500. 793, a Spanish monk predicted that Jesus was going to come back in 793. January 1st, 1000, Pope Sylvester II predicted that Jesus would come back at the switchover of the millennium. 1891, Joseph Smith of the Latter-day Saints. That was the first time he thought that. 1914, Jehovah Witnesses predicted that Jesus would be coming back in 1914. 1999 through 2009, Jerry Falwell said, it's a 10-year window. 10-year window. Jesus didn't come back in any of those times. I'm so thankful because I wasn't, I would have been left. I would have been lost. All of, if any of those had happened, I would have been lost. So I didn't, I didn't become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ until after these predictions happened. So I'm not pointing those folks out to make fun of them. What I'm saying is that the, I'm thankful for the long-suffering, the patience of God. Like he gave the Amorites a thousand years, and they never got around to, they never got to that place of repentance. I'm thankful that he didn't come back until I had a chance to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you. I for, forgive me. Now, he hasn't come back yet. Obviously, we're still here. He hasn't come back yet, which means that there are still people that he's saying, I'm waiting for these people. The Bible says when that last person accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, we go. Could be today. That could be today. That's not a joke. That could be today. And if you're sitting here going, I don't know, I've got these plans. I got a wedding this weekend and, you know, I might get a little crazy. And I... If it's tomorrow, you'll be lost. We talked, about, we talked about this today, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the understanding that you're a sinner. If you're here, if you're watching, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if the Lord comes back today, you're lost. 
You can walk out of here today assured in your salvation. Assured. You can know it. You can know it. It's simple. You say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm realizing it right now. I'm a sinner. Your Holy Spirit has pierced my heart today, and I know it. Forgive me. Forgive me. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Let me make you preeminent in my life. And let it be my honor to serve you from this day forward until you come back. So that I could join you all in the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end today. Right there. I'm going to ask the band to come up. I'm going to just pray. I'm going to pray this prayer right now. And if, if you're online watching or if you're sitting here today and, and you have felt that conviction of the Holy Spirit today to say, you need, <clears throat> you need me. I want, you to, uh, I want you to pray this prayer with me today. And if you're here today and you are a, uh, a believer already, I want you to pray for anybody who might be sitting here. I want you to pray for them that they might overcome any fear or anxiety that they might have about asking the Lord to be their Savior. If, if, if this is you, pray this prayer with me. Father God, I believe with all my heart that Jesus died on the cross for my sake and has risen from the dead. Lord, I receive your word and I repent of my sins. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive your forgiveness. I receive the new birth, cleansed and washed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Fill me now, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you, were, uh, if you prayed that prayer, if you're online and you prayed that prayer, would you please let us know? Would you, would you text the word respond to 239-205-3353? Respond 239-205-3353. And just let us know and say, I prayed the prayer. I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior today. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer today, just come and find me or Deirdre or Cesar or, or Dan or Amanda or anybody you see, anyone, the person next to you, tell them, I prayed to receive Jesus today. What do I do now? What do I do now? You are in for a ride, my friend. And I hope you go like this. Woohoo! Don't grab on. Don't try and steer. Just, just take your hands off the wheel and see what God wants to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word today, uh, for this time, Lord, for speaking to us. What a privilege and an honor it is for me to be able to stand here and be your mouthpiece, because that's all I am, Lord, just a tool in the hand of the master builder, Lord. I pray for anybody here that might have prayed that prayer. Lord, I pray for anybody here who heard these words, but just think they're not ready yet, Lord. Would you please, please, please prick their hearts? Lord, for anybody online who is listening to these words either this morning or recorded on a Wednesday, Lord, would you speak into them, Lord? Would you draw them in? Draw them in. Lord, help us to remember to love you with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength as we go out this week. 
Help us to examine our lives and, and totally and utterly destroy anything that is going before you in our lives, Lord. Anything that may cause us to drift or to stray away. Lord, I thank you for the reminder. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.